So we're back. We're back. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to a very special edition of Off the Crossbar. We we know you've missed us. After it's been a day. It, it has been like twelve hours. Twelve hours since we released one. Twenty-ish. Yeah. No, it was twenty-four. And if we you're new here because time. of our celebrity guests that we have on this evening, then please go back and listen to our previous shows because they all relate to this one somehow. Somehow. Uh, it, it all builds to, up to this. To, to provide yeah, proper momentum. context. <laughs> Listen oh. to the rest of them. Context for why <laughs> we're so much better when we have people to talk for us. Who yes. know more than we do. Uh, yes. We've got three of those people today. Jason, you want to talk a little about who we've got? We have uh, Trey Fitzgerald, the Vice President of Communications for Real Salt Lake. He also does other things. And He's also quite, and a, quite a good Twitterer. Twitter, tweeter. Tweet guy. Yeah. Tweet dude. Then uh, Brian Dunseth formerly of RSL playing fame and now probably the best color commentator in the world. I'm going to say, I'm just going to say the world. <laughs> he, uh, he gives Ray Hudson run for his money. Absolutely. Yeah. Brian Dunseth is magisterial. That's how Ray Hudson would describe him. Yeah. Absolutely. Also a he, social media guru and, and uh, you should all just aspire to be him. He's got his toe and everything. Yeah. Both these guys just uh, know far more than I could ever hope to know. So yeah. Uh, great interviews with them. Yeah. Coming up. And uh, last but not least, we had Zach Goldman, who's uh, that damn yank on Twitter. You probably follow him, even if you don't know you follow him. Good follow. Uh, great interview. Good guy. Just knows the sport really well. So it was awesome to talk. And it will be awesome to talk to all three of them. <laughs> not that we've done that already. We did uh, that already. Yeah. That, We're actually time traveling now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, As per the usual. <laughs> just in case you aren't aware, this is about the U.S. men's national team and some stuff. Very, very little RSL talk, but there is RSL talk in there. So you so have to listen to in the whole every thing. interview, but you have to listen through to find the RSL talk. <laughs> They're like little. It's Easter like eggs. the treasure in a Cracker Jack box, only better. Yeah, or those uh, those eggs with the thing inside. Kinder eggs. Kinder eggs. Th- those are the ones. Kinder eggs. Yeah. yeah there we go. The choking hazards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so hazards. Uh, up first, we have Trey Fitzgerald with Real Salt Lake, and uh, let's get it out to him. All right, we're here with Trey Fitzgerald of Real Salt Lake. He's the vice president of communications and uh, some other exciting things. How are you doing, Trey? I'm good, guys. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah. Well, Thanks think... for asking. We're pretty fantastic. Little, yeah. su- a little surprise, maybe. Have you, uh, have you survived the hashtag Donna Vanished? Oh, I haven't, I haven't heard that. I didn't see that yet. I'm going to take note of that just, right now. Dono Van. I just, uh, just saw that and uh, figured that's going to be a thing. Did you start that? I did not start that. <laughs> you you can have, tell us the uh, truth, right? I have entirely too much respect for, for Landon and everything he's done to uh, go there. Yeah, um, let's just jump in there. What was your reaction when you saw that he was left off the roster? Well, I guess... It's been expected in many circles, and you know some of the guests we've had on frame the last couple of weeks with Matt Doyle and um, you know Taylor Twelman. We talked about it, and I I just was so amazed that that would even be entertained because while maybe he's not what he was in 2002 or six or ten, there's still Nobody on this roster, for me personally as a fan, including you know Clint Dempsey or even Michael Bradley, that 
that you can say, okay, there's not a moment I can imagine that's that's uh, not too big for this guy. And Landon has just produced in so many scintillating, uh, iconic moments, not just in the World Cup, but uh, in so many U.S. national team tournaments and games. And who else would you rather have to bring off the bench in the last 20 minutes of a game or in – you know, in overtime or, you know, taking a penalty kick. Like, this guy, again, he's not what he used to be, but he's still, he's only 32. He scored a ton of goals. And I just think, like, that's a, that's a pretty, it's a pretty big ace in the hole to, to, to go without uh, for potential scenarios in Brazil. And that's, that's where my shock comes from. And, I mean, you guys have seen a lot of the same, I guess, conspiracy theories out there about, you know, landed mad about something that happened 10 years ago at Leverkusen in Germany with Landon or, you know, who knows what happened when they were crossing paths uh, in L.A. at various times before Jurgen became uh, the head coach. And it's hard to subscribe to any of those theories, but then when you see... Uh, Jurgen's son tweeting about, you know, Brad Davis uh, essentially wanting it more. I can't remember the exact tweet, so I'm paraphrasing. But then you kind of wonder, okay, did Landon's sabbatical or whatever it was in Cambodia, uh, you know, what did that say to Jurgen about his commitment and his personality? And, and maybe that's where maybe that's where the divide comes from. I, you know, we'll know, maybe we'll know more in the next couple of days when, when Jurgen has his press conference and Bruce arena has his and, you know, Landon, I imagine will get in front of some microphones and some cameras, either with ESPN or Fox or, uh, maybe after the galaxy training on Friday or Saturday, or, you know, who knows, is he going to play against Philadelphia on Sunday? So, you know, sorry to go on a big, Rant, no, you're fine. I think these are a million different factors that are all kind of coming in, but at the end of the day, like a lot of people, um, I'm shocked, and you know, it's just crazy to think. I, I guess there was an article. Last thing I'll say about this right this second is Bruce was quoted, I think, in a San Jose paper this morning saying, "Well, if Landon gets cut." then that would lead me to believe that there's 20, that Jurgen thinks we have 23 players better than Landon. And if that's the case, then maybe we've got a good shot at winning the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. that was the uh, Mercury uh, News in San Jose that reported yeah. that. that. That's really it, optimistic, it, I think. That, well, it's I, such, I, that's I like such a that. Bruce quote. That's a Bruce Arena quote, through and through. Yeah. It really is, right? He's pushing some buttons there. And, and you know, and Jurgen kind of was quoted as saying, not just the best 23 players it's the 23 guys that give the team the best chance to all that and I believe that's his philosophy so but again I go back to I can't think of anybody else that I'd rather you know bring off the bench uh, when you need uh, an attacker uh, late in the game or you know in a game changing a potential to create a a game-changing moment. That's that's Landon Donovan to me, and maybe that's part of of all of us in our head because of the generation that we've grown up in watching this this team. Yeah, and I think it's hard to to 
look down the bench and see Brad Davis sitting there in the 80th minute and Julian <laughs> Green. No, no offense to either of them instead of Landon sure. Donovan with like his history and what he's accomplished with the national team. Well, and Julian Green, he might be he might be the guy that plays four World Cups starting now, and same with DeAndre Yedlin. But Julian Green didn't play a minute in qualifying. Julian Green is playing in the fourth Bundesliga or whatever. That's the same level that Garth Lagerway was playing at when he was 18 years old. So, you know, not to indict Garth's playing career, but, you know... Julian Green hasn't proven anything, and, and look, Jurgen knows more in his left toenail about this game than I do, but it just seems a little uh, crazy. But whatever. I mean, we'll we'll be talking about this in the next six six to eight weeks, I guess, yeah. and we'll see where land or where uh, takes this takes us all. You know, what kind of journey takes us on through the World Cup. Let me ask you a question. Uh, since we brought up Julian Green, how much stock do you put in the, I'm going to call it a conspiracy theory, that Julian Green was promised a spot on the World Cup roster, and that's how they got him to switch? Do you think that's legit? Is that something that could actually happen? Uh, yeah, I mean, as much as I hate deal-making of that sort, I think it would be naive to think that Maybe that didn't happen. And look, Jurgen, you know, Jurgen's had complete and total control. And look, the team struggled early on in qualifying and ended up, uh, you know, passing with, I think, flying colors. So you got to give him credit. But he's got all the power, all the keys to the kingdom. He's already got a contract that gets him through the next cycle. That's, that's why a lot of people are questioning. Is he focused on 14? Is he focused on 18? And obviously, the you know, if he's thinking about the future, uh, you know, that's where Julian Green comes into play. That's where DeAndre Yedlin comes into play. Um, you know, John Anthony Brooks, I don't think, factored much in, in qualifying. Um, and again, like, I'm an MLS mob too. So, you know, everybody hypes up these young potential guys with American passports that are playing everywhere overseas. Um, they did it with David Regie back in 1998. They did it with, you know, Roy Weggerly, I guess, in 1994. And, you know, I guess they're, those kind of guys have always been a mixed bag. There's been success stories and there's been flops. Uh, um, sure, maybe that happened with, with Julian Green and his dad and all that. But again, I mean, you guys saw how lost he looked in that you know, that 10 minutes or whatever down in Phoenix. And I guess the big, the biggest question of what's everybody thinking and how they react is, is going to manifest itself in, in the locker room. And how do guys like Kyle and Nick and, and Tim Howard and Bradley and Dempsey and uh, Jermaine Jones and, and Jeff Cameron and the guys that are kind of locked in there, how do they manage, um, the day-to-day training sessions, the games, the the you know the off days, all the downtime, you know, and and we've seen how Kyle and Nick integrate young players here, but obviously a club where you're where you're kind of building a foundation for a season and for multiple seasons, very different than 
than a five, six week project like the World Cup. So who knows? It's going to be fascinating, I think, to watch and see what ends up coming out. If, if guys go anonymously to Brian Strauss again and, and talk about how, you know, quirky Jurgen's methods are, um, or if somehow, you know, he's the master, uh, motivator and magician and, and gets that team out of the group. And, you know, once you get out of the group, you get in a knockout round, anything can happen. We saw that in 2002 and yep. I happened to be fortunate enough to be working for MLS at the time, but I was embedded with the U.S. team, and that was just a magical experience, you know, and, and I think the big thing that I look back then is if South Korea wasn't such a naive footballing country at the time and as a host, you know, maybe they're content with drawing Portugal in that third group game, and then they and Portugal both go through, and the U.S. loses to Poland and, and comes home. But um, Korea, you know, hangs on for the win, and, and the U.S. goes through, and then you get, you get Mexico in the round of 16. I mean, what better matchup? So maybe something incredible and, and romantic and magical all happens down in Brazil, uh, a la 2002. Who knows? That sounds nice. Yeah, it would, it would be okay if we got out of the group, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, bringing it a little uh, closer to home, how do you think the uh, RSL guys are going to do Beckerman and Romando, obviously? Well, you know, I think I, I felt pretty secure about Kyle being on that plane to Brazil for the last couple months. You know, I think there was a time, certainly late last year, uh, certainly a year ago, I think, what was it, the Jamaica road game, which wasn't in the hacks, but it was in the qualifying round before that where, you know, he struggled and then and then Klinsman brought um, Danny, um, was Danny Williams? Is that yeah, Danny Williams. He came in and played the, because wasn't it like a home-and-home home with Jamaica? And then Danny Williams played the second one, and he played really well, and everybody's like, oh, Kyle's done. But then you see, like, you know, what Kyle did in the Gold Cup last year, and Klinsman always goes back to him, and his quotes have always been, like, Kyle is exactly the guy who knows his role and stays within himself, and it's kind of similar to the quotes you're seeing now about Wondolowski from Jurgen. you know, just a guy that, that you know, checks off a bunch of boxes, and he's not being asked to do things by Jurgen and his staff or the team. Uh, that he's not capable of. So, you know, I fully expect, and it sounds like, and I don't know anything, but, you know, reading the tea leaves, and it seems like we may see a lot of that diamond midfield um, from the U.S., maybe in Brazil, maybe not, but certainly I think we're going to see a lot of it in these three tune-up games. And, I mean, we all know what a wild card Jermaine Jones is and can be, and, his disciplinary issues. So I got to think Kyle's going to get some significant minutes. And, you know, we saw that 45 minute performance against Brazil with him behind Bradley. It was magical. And, um, like I just read a tweet a minute ago, somebody said, well, it only took Mexico 45 minutes to figure it out. And, uh, and that's a little depressing because when you think of the, the acumen of a Portugal or a Ghana or certainly in Germany, I think it is a, a nice thing for the U.S. to maybe not have Germany until that third game. So, 
that could end up being a blessing, obviously, depending on what happens uh, in the first first game against Ghana. But so I I think Kyle's going to play, and he may end up playing a lot because of the system or the combinations, or just because Jermaine Jones gets uh, yellow cards or something like that. You know, I would love to see Nick out there, and, and maybe uh, maybe in the hundred and nineteenth minute of a round of sixteen game where it's going to PKs. Maybe you see Ramondo get in there, but Tim Howard's pretty good at PKs too. So yeah. I'm not expecting Guzan or Ramondo um, to actually end up uh, to actually end up uh, playing. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those yeah. situations where you probably don't want to see them. <laughs> but but wouldn't that be cool to see Ramondo uh, stand at fourth officials table in the 119th minute? Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There to stop Ozil or something. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> let me, sounds terrifying. Let me ask kind of a follow-up to that, and I, I think we all kind of know the answer, but it, I'd like to hear it from you. Um, obviously, there's a lot of players that do a lot of moving around after World Cups. They get a lot of exposure. A lot of other teams see them make offers, and, and players move. Do we anticipate, or do you anticipate, um, us getting any kind of significant offer for probably Beckerman, since he's going to get a lot of visibility in this World Cup? from either other MLS teams or, I mean, teams from around the world? I mean, look, I think I, I don't envision any scenario where, where Kyle would be moved within MLS away from Salt Lake. I mean, That's kind of like I would like to think, I, yeah. I, would, I would like to think he's a captain for life here, but sometimes the title doesn't always uh, bring the best uh, futures when you look at the, uh, you know, on Arch back in the day, but uh, I, I, I do think Kyle's age probably precludes a, a big club on a shopping spree uh, from grabbing him. But you know, who knows? You know, that's the you know that's kind of the one of the fun things about the World Cup is is the world is watching. The eyes of the world will be on those guys that. And I can't think of, I mean, Kyle and Nick have put 15 years into this league. They, along with a lot of other guys, have done so much to grow the sport here uh, domestically and in North America. And, you know, Kyle, you know, was one of the last cuts from the U-20 World Cup team back in 1999. And for him to get this chance, I think is uh, we're all just so happy for him, so proud and can't wait to see what he does with it, but I think the hope is that he comes back uh, emboldened and even better for the experience, and and he's our captain for the foreseeable future. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> so you're you rolling know, the, out the 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 interesting thing is going to be, you know, our MLS teams going to be able to participate and buy players that they see this summer in Brazil. And, um, you know, what kind of effect does that have? Because a lot of times, I mean, we see international players come over in that August window from overseas, and it takes them a year uh, to really make a splash. And Obafemi Martins wasn't bad last year, but he wasn't nearly as effective as he's been the first third of this year. And, yeah. You guys remember Javier Morales was not good in the seven games he played in 2007 on the turf at Rice Eccles to the point where 
I think Jason even kind of questioned, you know, what did we do here? And then obviously he's been uh, an iconic playmaker for us starting with that beginning of 2008. So it just takes international guys uh, time to assimilate to this league and, and its style of play and its quirky rules and, and all those things that we've got going on here in, in the league we love in Major League Soccer. Yeah, another example of that recently would be Dempsey last year too. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, and then that's the flip side, right? Is you've got guys, and we're seeing it right now like with Robbie Finley, and Dempsey's another guy, like guys that switch leagues and end up playing 18 months straight. Uh, that That is not good and for your body and, and with – the quick turnaround between MLS Cup in December and training camp six weeks later and season starting in March, uh, that's another factor for, for guys going either way. Is if you don't get a break, it's going to be hard uh, to perform, and, and that's why this, this extended injury for Robbie Finley may end up being a blessing for us. You know, he played 18 months from – uh, nodding them into MLS, and then he gets his break, and then you think about, okay, we're missing Kyle and Nick and, and Sabo for the next six weeks or whatever, but you get Luis Gill back for essentially first time in six, seven weeks, and now maybe you're going to get Robbie Finley back here in the in early June. Um, that's that's two guys that could start, I would think, for just about any team in this league. Uh, that's going to be big for this club to kind of weather the World Cup storm. Stay undefeated. That's the hope, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Since you brought up uh, Sabo and he's kind of been overlooked in the whole deal, has he said anything about like what sort of expectations he has for Costa Rica going in the World Cup or what the expectations are for them back at home or anything? Because they didn't get thrown yeah. into a great group either. Yeah, no, I, I talked to Sabo a lot. We were at that World Cup draw event in Kansas City, actually the day before MLS Cup, and, and you know, Sabo is kind of funny. Like, you could see excitement in his eyes that he and his little country are playing. Um, who's in their group? It's England, it's Italy, and, and somebody Uruguay. else. Uruguay. Uruguay, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with or without Suarez, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, uh, still kind of dangerous. So, yeah. And, you know, he you could see in his eyes, he was excited at the opportunity, a little sort of like all the U.S. guys, like, wow, we are in a tough, tough group. But, you know, Sabo is, you know, he's got the weight of that country on his shoulders down there, even as, you know, he's fighting – uh, for a starting spot with Joel Campbell and Brian Ruiz. And, you know, depending what system that coach puts in, um, you know, he's got a lot, a lot of stuff kind of going on. Um, just had a baby uh, two days ago. So he got back to Utah. I think the baby was born Tuesday night. He got back from Costa Rica Wednesday morning. Sorry, Thursday morning. Uh, the baby was born uh yeah, Tuesday night, I guess. So uh, he missed the birth by just a few hours, I guess. But, uh, you know, what an exciting time. And if you haven't gone on his Instagram to look at the photo of him and his new son, Isaac, and his wife, uh, Carolina, it's pretty special. Um, but he's going to go back to camp, and 
think Costa Rica's playing a lot of their tune-up games in the United States. So hopefully his wife and his, his new baby get to spend a little bit of time before they go down to Brazil. But, you know, Sabo, I, I don't think a lot of RSL fans kind of understand how he does carry a lot of the weight of that country on his shoulders. And if they lose, he's to blame. And if he if they win, he gets the credit. And they've had tournaments within CONCACAF. He's played in the World Cup before in 06. And, you know, he's hit big penalty kicks in the in the shootout, and he's missed some, um, unfortunately, like he did in MLS Cup. Uh, so he's used to being the guy. And all the all the weight and glory and trials and tribulation and the upside and the downside that go along with that. So um, I, he's excited. You know, he's, he's 32 like Kyle, so I think he's thinking this is probably – his last World Cup, and he wants to uh, he wants to go through uh, go through this and probably enjoy it as much as he can. But you know, I think it's a good thing for us, hopefully at RSL, that you know his son is an American citizen, and um, and hopefully he ends his his professional career here as well because I think he's got a lot of good years left and. Uh, as we've seen so far earlier this year, he's still a lethal finisher. Absolutely. We like this long-term approach. We've got, uh, now <laughs> yeah, we've got I mean, Isaac right? and Santi that's, right? That's Isaac and the Santi. philosophy. RSL family. Oh, <laughs> uh, I guess we could wrap up and say, do you think that this this roster, has it changed the expectations for the U.S. in this group at all, or are they going to be about the same? No, I mean... I don't think anyone was overly optimistic uh, going in, you know, looking at the group. And, uh, you know, with I think only five guys on the roster that have World Cup experience, you've got a lot of young guys, a lot of guys that really didn't factor in qualifying. Uh, you know, it, it does, I guess, bring, for, for me, I'll be paying more attention now to the tune-up games uh, probably than I imagined myself before. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see, again, like, you know, there's a scenario that I thought not only did I want Landon there as a fan and as a potential weapon, but, I mean, I would have thought maybe Jurgen would keep Landon just so he didn't have to deal with all the media stuff that he's going to be dealing with for the next, you know, two weeks before they, they leave the country. And then even when they get down to Brazil. So, um, how this whole decision affects the U S uh, their routine and their, their stuff externally. Like Kyle joked on the Google hangout the other day that the hardest part about the world cup is going to be, I think dealing with all the media stuff. And, and we think he said that tongue in cheek. I hope he did, but, uh, <laughs> You know, it's it's just it's just going to be interesting, and maybe you know what we may be talking in eight weeks that Jurgen's a genius and he knew what he was doing and he had all the cards, but you know they played out the way he envisioned. But uh, he's really he's really ratcheted up the you know look for for four different Landon Donovan related hashtags to be trending all afternoon, and then you know a couple of them trending. Uh, worldwide, like, you know, you, the world is waking up to U.S. soccer and the U.S. is waking up to 
soccer in this country, and, and that's that's the, I guess, silver lining of all this stuff, but I don't know. I'd, I'd put it back on you guys. I don't know if you expected us to get out of the group, and, you know, I'm hopeful, but I don't I don't know that you want to play that third game against Germany needing a win to, to advance. Yeah, I'm I'm not over. I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm, but, I'm very very cautiously. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I think Portugal might be beatable, and Ghana Ghana have lost. They've they've lost a couple of players since the last really good group that they had, and then in the previous two World Cups. But that doesn't necessarily mean they haven't replaced them. So yeah, yeah, um, and, and Ghana to me is the big wild card, and I'd much rather be playing them in the first game than the third game because by the third game they may be finding their form a little bit and you know Portugal's Portugal you got Cristiano Ronaldo and and 10 other guys you know, a lot of big names yeah you know we'll see we'll see it's gonna be fun can't wait and this is you know like probably for you guys this is one of my favorite months on the calendar every four years to, to try to keep track and introduce yourself as new new players and new teams and new names and and new cultures and all that stuff and you know and and uh you know who knows maybe Deloy and, and Garth and and Bill and Jeff you know they'll see some guys that they like and say we got to go get them and, and, uh, and that guys. might be fun you know yeah maybe we could get uh that Suarez guy from Uruguay as a third DP we've had that third <laughs> DP spot open for a while there you go might be overly optimistic yeah <laughs> I, I don't know if that's the word I'd use, but yeah, yeah. We, we do have a uh, we do have a Liverpool connection with uh, Doug Leach. There oh, you go. Yeah, that's that's just, worth a discount. right? He's just a phone call away. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Trey. All right, guys. Love the uh, love the show. Thanks for having me on, and uh, and and we look forward to uh, to getting through this crazy 2014 uh, season together. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thanks, Trey. All right, guys. Uh, welcome back. We're uh, joined next by Brian Dunseth, RSL legend and <laughs> and overall media guy, guru. <laughs> I mean, at original winger on Twitter, obviously. Bumpy pitch. He's got a thousand things going on. New beer. If you haven't tried it yet, definitely try it. It's pretty fantastic. I finally tried it last weekend. How's it going, Dunny? Going well. It's going well. I appreciate all the shouts. Uh, the swindle continues, as I say. No one's <laughs> yeah. figured out that they're actually paying me money to talk about soccer. There you go. <laughs> Wait, are we paying you money? Uh, no, no, no. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Maybe beer in the future. Maybe we can just share a beer. Hey, there you go. That's no. fair. We'll share your beer. <laughs> nice. I like it. All right. Uh, Trevor... Trevor's got some questions. We've, I mean, we've all got some questions. Obviously, there's a little bit of surprise and shock about the roster, so we'll just jump straight into it. So, Donovan clearly, as we all know, did not get called up. Donovan is 32 years old. He's getting to that age where people start talking about retiring internationally. Did Donovan just retire internationally, do you think, or are we going to see him with the U.S. national team again in the future? I mean, we do have the Copa America that's going to be in the U.S., in two years, maybe he features as part of that. What do you think? Yeah, I doubt it. I mean, Jurgen Klinsmann played his hand. Um, you know, you, you, you can you can be an international superstar, and you can have a coach that doesn't rate you or doesn't think that you're as good as you actually are. And 
you know, you, you see you see players left out all the time. I mean, Carlos Tevez isn't going to the World Cup with Argentina, so it happens. Um, you know, uh, listen, all this talk about Landon Donovan's age, if I'm not mistaken, Kyle Beckman is 32, right, guys? Right, that's yeah. correct. Brad Davis yeah, uh, is, too. Brad Davis, he's 32, 34, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a lot of um, yeah, five I, or six guys in that age group. Yeah, I, I just don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy the age thing. Um, listen, I, I don't know. I, I heard this could be a possibility. I, I heard a, a lot of different places this could be a possibility. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a shock to say the least. Um, so now we're looking at guys that potential game changers that are not going to be in the World Cup for the U.S. men's national team. Um, I think Juan Agudelo has been incredibly inconsistent, but he gives you something a little bit different than what we have. Um, you know, Eddie Johnson, regardless of whether you love him, you hate him, you think he's a locker room cancer, if he's the best guy in the world, he gives you something that we don't necessarily have coming off the bench. Uh, and now to say that Landon Donovan, the toughest decision you've ever made, um, he's not in the best form. I don't remember. I think, you know, I've seen plenty of interviews where Jurgen Klinsmann was saying that it's not about taking the best players, it's about taking the best team. But Landon Donovan makes your team better. And uh, to leave him off, um, you know, every single player going forward, first question they're going to face is, well, I mean, is, could Landon Donovan would have helped you? Um, every question in Brazil, uh, if it's a tie or a draw, tactically, um, could this have been a, a game that Landon Donovan could have helped you? Uh, this, this doesn't tarnish Landon Donovan's um, legacy at all. Uh, but this decision could absolutely tarnish everything for Jurgen Klinsmann, depending on how these three games and the group stages go. Yeah, absolutely. If we win nine, one or two of those, or if we, for some godforsaken reason, actually make it out of the group, like, does that abolish any concerns, or are those still deep-seated concerns that people should have? Well, yeah, I, I think that at the end of the day, um, when Jurgen Klinsmann took over, he promised us style, he promised us substance, and he promised us an identity. Now, this has been a group that's been incredibly successful, but he's used a lot of players. Um, and, and if there, there's a bunch of layers to this thing with Landon Donovan, um, to see Jurgen Klinsmann's son on Twitter, uh, what his tweets were, what his deletions were, what his apologies were, and then to see his account deleted, uh, I think anyone with common sense would think that there's something deeper to this Landon Donovan thing outside of what these past 10 days in the U.S. men's national team camp looks like. And if we're judging Landon Donovan on his sabbatical, if we're judging Landon Donovan on quote-unquote not buying in, uh, I would point to a man named Timmy Chandler who repeatedly uh, refused or seemingly refused U.S. men's national team call-ups. Uh, to focus on his club career. Uh, to see John Brooks, to see Jimmy Chandler, to see Julian Green, uh, I'm not worried about what their ethnicity, what their nationality is. I'm only worried about their commitment. Um, and if there's three players that make us better, then awesome. Uh, but I'm not sure that either of those players make us a better team. And I'm still not sure, outside of Michael Bradley and Timmy Howard, who the leaders are in this group um, and, and who are the glue guys. Because you need glue guys when things go wrong. Uh, and I'm not sure any of us know who the glue guys are of this group. There's been a lot of talk that I've seen today, and, and you might know just from knowing the players better, that 
that Donovan might not have been as much of a leader as people who aren't involved with the team think. Is there any like truth to that, or is he just as much of a leader and a, and a glue guy as, as we seem to think he was? No, listen, Landon, Landon Donovan um, is, is a special breed. He's a special breed of athlete. Uh, but what a lot of people forget is that there are certain players, certain people that their personality, uh, I don't want to say coddle, because I think that's too strong of a word, but you got to let them know that they're special. Um, and, and usually you have teammates that do that. And I know that sounds crazy, uh, but I've, I've played, all the special players for the most part that I've played with, in one way or another, they needed to know that they were appreciated. Um, I think the, a, a lot of the, the common sense talk from fans will say, guys, why do we need to coddle anyone? Why do we need to make anyone feel special? This is, we're going to war, we're going to battle. That's just not the case. Uh, Landon Donovan's a leader on the field. Um, you know, he might not be the vocal leader, the inspirational leader, uh, but he is a leader nonetheless based on his play. And if you need a guy that uh, isn't going to shit his pants in the 75th minute when he needs to come in against Ghana, Portugal, or Germany, a guy that's been there and done that knows exactly what to expect, Landon Donovan is the guy you want to you want to be turning to. So this, this is a lot of a lot of experience lost. Um, I mean, you, you just look back at the 2010 World Cup, you start naming the guys. I mean, Aguchi Onyewu, Carlos Bocanegra, Jay Demerick, Stevie Chirondolo, Stu Holden, uh, Sasha Question, Benny Failhaber. I mean, those, those are just a few of the guys. Um, so my question is, who's the glue? Who's the guy that's going to keep this team together? Because there's going to be an incredible amount of pressure. Jurgen's been there. He knows what it's like with, uh, with Germany. So let's be honest, we're not as talented as Germany is. We can battle, uh, but we, we, we are not that 2006 German squad that, that he took to the third place game. Yeah, it seems like now with Landon not going, that may have even ratcheted up the pressure even more, like had the opposite effect, because now there's going to be so many questions of, well, what could have gone differently if Landon was there? Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I think there's a lot of questions in this group. Um Jurgen, Jurgen has, has gotten, I would say, a free pass in the media outside of that Brian Strauss article over the last four years. Uh, statistics don't lie. It's been the winningest year we've ever seen uh, from the U.S. men's national team. Um, but I think a lot of people are starting to make the argument that qualifying, CONCACAF qualifying for the World Cup is arguably the second easiest qualifying region uh, in the world. And only Oceanic is, is worse. Um, we, we play Costa Rica, uh, Mexico, and Honduras. Uh, that, that's not that hard. It's not that hard of a group to qualify for the World Cup. Um, so it's one thing to be a CONCACAF U.S. men's national team. It's another thing to be a World Cup U.S. men's national team. Um, I, I think we still don't know what our back line looks like. Uh, we, we don't know what our formation looks like. What, what is our, what does our tactical shape look like? Um, and for me, there's two guys that are going to prove that they're world-class players. And that's Michael Bradley and Timmy Howard as of right now. The bigger question is who steps up? Because you're going to need more than two guys to be successful uh, in a group like this. Let me uh, kind of change gears off of uh, Donovan here to talk more about the roster. I've We've seen a lot of talk about how maybe this is Klinsman building for 2018. And we could talk about whether we want 
a coach going into a World Cup focused on the next World Cup rather than this one. But if he is building towards 2018, and that's how you justify maybe Yedlin and maybe Green being on the roster, how do you say um, that he is building to 2018 with only eight guys, either 25 or younger? The rest of the squad is old and inexperienced. Yeah, I mean, what is it, five guys? I think I saw it was five guys with previous World Cup game experience. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, listen, I, I, I understand you want to layer a group like this with some young guys. Uh, I was a part of the 2000 Olympic team. Uh, I was a part of that bronze medal run. I know how hard it is to qualify for an Olympics um, and how a tournament format makes it incredibly difficult with a short recovery time. Uh, we've only qualified for one Olympics since my 2000 group. That was 2006 with Bradley, Stu Hold, and all those guys, Sasha Question, Charlie Davies. Um, that's one Olympics out of the last three. And what I've always said is you need a group of young guys that are together, that are playing high-level games, getting that experience, but again, playing with an identity. And our identity in 2000 was a diamond formation. If we just went through two years of qualifying for a World Cup, I would ask anyone to say, what is our, I would ask anyone the easiest question, what is our formation? What, who are we? How do we define our game? Um, because it's not that different, to be honest with you. I think you can make the same argument for Bob Bradley. At least you knew going in that Bob Bradley had a style and an identity. It might not have been the prettiest, but it was somewhat efficient. Um, if you're going to build this team, John Brooks, Julian Green, DeAndre Yedlin, uh, those are those are pretty important pieces. Uh, after we get out of this next World Cup and we and we start looking at this group again in, in September, October, are we looking at the Benji Hoyas, the Will Traps, the Shane O'Neills, those type of players? Um, again, when we ink up Jurgen Klinsmann long term, I understand the concern about potentially losing him. At the end of the World Cup, when you invested so much money, and make no mistake about it, Jurgen's ideas from a development academy and a structure have been incredibly important and huge steps forward for U.S. soccer and youth <laughs> soccer in the United States. Um, but do we really want to be going into a World Cup talking about what potentially we could be looking like in four years? I, I, I would argue no. I would argue that's a boatload of money to be paying some guy to go in to get us to win the World Cup. Um, and I know this isn't an easy draw, but this is why we're paying him millions and millions of dollars, is to navigate us through this as a former player, a World Cup winner, and a, a former coach who, who's made it to the third-place game with Germany in 2006. Yeah, and I think we, we discussed a little bit earlier, and I don't know if that's necessarily the right mentality to go into any World Cup saying – well, you know, this will be an experience and we're kind of preparing for the next one because there's no guarantee, regardless of your qualifying group, that you're going to be at the next one. At every World Cup, you really need to be bringing everything you've got to do as well as you can. Yeah, and again, the draw, uh, there's so many layers to this conversation. And until, I mean, you're never going to publicly say uh, that he's just building for the next World Cup. Uh, he's just trying to get vital experience. Um, but some of the some of the players chosen uh, speaks to that. I mean, I'm I'm not a huge Clarence Goodson fan. I, I would have rather seen a good Yewu or uh, Chris Shuler. You guys know I've been ringing Chris Shuler's bell for 
the last two years for a look. Um, and I think potentially he would have got that look had he not uh, had had to go undergo surgery in January. Um, but, I mean, to go with a guy like John Brooks, who did not look good uh, in the games that he's played for the national team, and then Julian Green, who's literally played 45 minutes, um, it's 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 hard to it's hard to counter the public opinion that these guys weren't promised trips to the World Cup had they committed had they not committed to the U.S. men's national team. So uh, the group of death is a group of death. I mean, you look at '98 France; they win the World Cup in 2002. They don't get out of their group. Crazy, crazy disappointment can happen uh, over the course of four seasons, and even if you qualify. You look at a good Chanielo in 2010, you look at Charlie Davies after they qualified in Honduras, and from Honduras to that game against Costa Rica, um, how many horrible, horrible scenarios happened. Um, it's a long time. Some crazy stuff can still happen in these friendlies. Um, but, you know, we'll see. And I'm, I'm really, really interested in hearing what Jurgen Klinsmann has to say tomorrow when he steps in front of that microphone and starts explaining the decisions uh, to let some of these established players go um, and, and hold on to some of these young guys. Do you think it might rub some of the guys that, that didn't go the wrong way, like long-term, like a Brad Evans who never, I mean, he didn't really have any any bad game that I can think of that stood out in qualifying, and now all of a sudden he's not going to the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, again, if if we're already talking about age, if we're already talking about Landon Donovan being 32, uh, four years from now, I don't think Jurgen Klinsmann's identifying anyone. Uh, I, I don't think after you know this summer as we turn into the fall, I, I don't think he's relying on anybody uh, over the age of 28 going down the road. Um, I, I think you know it, it's it's a World Cup and it's a statement. Um, and after the World Cup, and we come home and we start having these fun little friendlies where MLS players are rewarded, and we start to see more and more. Uh, players with dual nationality, dual citizenship being named and given opportunities. Um, the, these group of players outside, you know, I, I wouldn't even, I would venture to say Timmy Howard, Brad Guzon, those two guys are going to have to fight for their lives. Uh, Sean Johnson from Chicago is going to get a really, really good look. Um, but you're going to see the identification process of that Olympic age group start getting some serious games, in my opinion, um, especially if you're going and TAB kind of coexist for the under-20s, under-21s, under-23s, whatever we're trying to reinvent the wheel with, uh, with labeling, whatever the, those age groups are, um, it's, it's going to be a transition period into that next realm of players. Um, and unless someone's just lighting it up, uh, anyone near the age of 30, I, I don't think, is, is going to be realistically given a consistent look like I said, unless they're lighting it up. I mean, Michael Bradley's Michael Bradley. Uh, Clint Dempsey's always going to be in the mix. Timmy uh, and Brad are, are the guys that everyone's going to lean on. But uh, you're going to see a, a whole influx of, of new faces once this, this World Cup is over uh, in July. Yeah, just to uh, to wrap it up, we talked to Trey a little earlier and asked him this, but wanted to ask you the same. What do you think we can expect to see from the uh, RSL duo, Ramondo and Beckerman? Um, unless something goes horrifically wrong, uh, Nick Ramondo most likely will not see a single minute. Yeah, um, we expected that. <laughs> which, yeah, I mean, I think if we're just being realistic, I think it's, I don't know if you guys know, I think it was the stat I heard that there's only been two occasions in the history of the World Cup where the third goalkeeper has been used. 
Um, I don't know if that's true, but that that was something recently that I saw somewhere. Um, I think realistically, you could see Kyle Beckerman in that third game against Germany for a couple of reasons. Um, but I, I just think that Jermaine Jones being flighty, um, kind of being so anti Michael Bradley in that position alongside Michael Bradley, uh, I think very easily you could see Jermaine Jones picking up two yellow cards in the first two games uh, and being forced to sit out that that third and final game against Germany. But listen, the good thing is we're playing Germany in that final game. If we have a, a good result against Ghana, we uh, could lose against Portugal and we could lose the game and that'd be fine. But if we're looking at Germany in that final game and potentially they've already qualified, they're already through, uh, imagine kind of a, a watered-down Germany where you're mixing and matching a starting 11 uh, and you're looking at guys that you know, potentially aren't, you know, aren't difference makers, are really good players, but aren't difference makers. You know, the U.S. men's national team, if they get that early result against Ghana, potentially that, that must-win game against Germany might not look as bad as, as we all think it is. That's reassuring. I feel, uh, I feel more at peace with myself now, so. <laughs> I'm sorry for giving you false sense of security. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for crushing that pretty quickly. Uh, no problem. I'm good at that stuff. Cool. Well, I, I think that wraps it up for us. Uh, could you say snap down header for us before you go? I I just want to hear it. I don't know why. Yeah, well, no, listen, I'm looking forward to a few of these friendlies. I want Josie Alcador to get a snap down header at the back post once or twice. Maybe even Clint Dempsey coming through with a skill check every once in a while. <laughs> you guys got to watch, watch out for that midfield balance. Uh, <laughs> but you know, Bradley, you know that relationship between Michael Bradley and Kyle Beckerman will always be strong. That's Sabo Nato, too. Yeah, I'll drink to that. Yeah, Sabo Nato. Yeah, Sabo Nato having a kid the other day, Isaac. So congrats to Sabo. I, I want Sabo to do well. I'm not so, I'm not so sure how well I want, I want the Chicos to do. Uh, but At least you're up front about we, it. We've got, yeah, we all got to be champ, championing uh, CONCACAF. It, it doesn't get the respect, potentially, that it deserves. Uh, but, you know, we, we hope it gets bigger and better, and, you know, we, we can all prevent and, and support as much as possible. Yeah, before you uh, go, tell us where we can get your beer. Yeah, it's uh, it's called Snapdown Header. Uh, Wasatch Brewery is available at the beer store uh, in Growler. We're, we're hoping for a can and bottle potentially getting finished up and, and pushed through uh, late summer. And uh, it's at virtually every every bar that you can get Wasatch or uh, Squatters, um, PW3s, uh, Beer Bar, uh Poplar, uh, Dick and Dixie's, uh, so all, all the all the normal uh, watering holes uh, you can find out. Uh, you can probably find. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on, and thanks for everything you do for just the city and the club in general, man. You're awesome. No, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for uh, for for adjusting your your schedule to allow me to get some of my back fat off and uh, play a little soccer ball. I appreciate it. Did you win? Uh, second game I won. First game I got demolished, but uh, did have a good day in crossbar challenge today. Ah, there you go. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> All right, thanks, Tony. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yep. Have see a good one. Take care. Yes, Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again because a vision softly. Uh, all right, welcome back. Uh, we're joined next by Zach Goldman with uh, That Damn Yank on Twitter. How's it going, Zach? Yeah, it's great. Thanks for having me, guys. 
How's life in SoCal treating you? It's good. It's warm and sunny. Um, you know, Klinsman and I haven't haven't spoken since the big decision, but it's okay. Once we get him back down from Stanford, we'll have a good long chat. He's not answering your texts? No, not yet. It's weird. I've sent him tons of, like, emojis and stuff, and he's still not budging, so we'll see. Yeah, so uh, besides Landon, was there anybody that really jumped out at you that was excluded on the 23-man roster? Uh, You know, it's tough to say. I'm not – I wasn't terribly surprised, I think, given – I think my – I have to recalibrate the concept of surprise after that. I mean, I know uh, a lot of people throw out Evans and Parkhurst. I kind of thought both might – be on the the chopping block, um, if I'm honest. But I think it's a fairly sensible, straightforward decision for both of them to not be there. That being said, I I would be happy if both were, but I can certainly see why you'd be hesitant to include them. I think where where surprise comes into play isn't so much leaving them out as much as what they're replaced with. Um, I think Brooks and Yedlin, obviously, are two massive question marks, um, given the choice between those two and the two I just mentioned who were omitted, I think I would have, you know, chosen the two who aren't there right now. But I think aside from that, it's it's hard, aside from that land, of course, it's, it's hard to have that many complaints. I think a lot of these players have, um, you know, demonstrated their worth to the national program, not just sort of over these, uh, over, the, over the qualifying cycle, but uh, in a more longitudinal sense, I think you have to look at, um, you know, what a guy like DeAndre Yedlin can provide in the next cycle. And, you know, maybe he didn't have the opportunity to provide that this cycle, but that doesn't mean he's not capable of demonstrating it over a period of three games. So I think, you know, Clemson's seen something in this incredibly magnified camp period that we haven't seen. And for that, I'm, you know, very open to reserving judgment um, and, and not totally scrutinizing those picks. But obviously, I think certainly Parkhurst and, and Evans were surprises in that regard, given sort of what replaces them. Yeah, like a shaky right back and a, a shaky central defender. So That was playing in the Bundesliga yeah. reserves two years ago. Or two months ago, not two years ago. <laughs> yeah, and also sort of the versatility that you leave behind with a guy like Parkhurst. I think people love to analyze it as, as just 23 players playing 23 positions, but the, you know, playing a position each rather, but that's not really what it is in terms of a lot of these players left out. Um, they can fill in massively and, and cover several positions that um, – you know, adequately, and I think that certainly has to be taken into account, that, that level of versatility. But, yeah, yeah you're, you're right. There were several versatile players that were left out, weren't yeah. there? Adu was the one that kind of jumped out. A lot of people said he might go solely based on his versatility. Yeah, and, I mean, given also his early season form, which I, I, it's strange. Like, I think uh, two people watch Maurice Adu, and you end up with three different opinions on him. But at the same time, I, I, I thought he's had a, a magnificent start to the season. Um, I think his club would be doing a lot worse than they are right now. They've conceded way more goals than, than they have, um, which is hard given the way the last weekend went down. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, you know, he, he offers you a measure of security that very few players in the pool can offer you um, defensively. And I think he's still a, a very capable two-way player. He's a very versatile player, as you point out. Um, so that is someone who I'd love to have on the roster, but I wouldn't consider it surprising necessarily given the fact that it, it's it's such a late spark from him. But it is weird, you know, you look at a guy like Maurice Adu who's basically garnered that steam um, and, and, you know, had sort of the buzz behind him probably the same length of time as a guy like DeAndre Yedlin, and yet, you know, Yedlin's the guy that goes over Adu, a guy who can play several different spots for you. Let me ask you this. Um, 
since we're talking about guys kind of played several different spots, you look at Dempsey, and Jurgen has him listed as a forward. He he's not really a forward in my mind. He's a guy that can play forward and he fills in. But if you don't include Dempsey, he's only brought three guys that straight up are strikers or forwards. And one of them is Wando, and one of them is Altador, who we all knew was coming. And then the third was Johansson, um, who is very young, very new, hasn't really played with the team that much recently. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I guess I sort of preface it. I, I tend to not put any stock whatsoever sort of into the official positions listed, although I, I think you're certainly right that those are your your forward options. If you had to you know draw a line, those are the four that get listed as forwards, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, I think given sort of the style of play, at least going forward, as far as we can tell, four should probably be an adequate number. Um, I I think there it's it's strange because Landon was obviously listed as a forward and someone who could could have filled in in the midfield as well. And I think he offers you a very different forward option from those other four who are listed. Um, I think you're right about Dempsey. He's someone who you know obviously he's at his best when he's. Either a withdrawn striker and attacking midfielder, depending on how you you want to slice it. I think withdrawn striker probably, if we're getting into semantics, more appropriate. Someone who can face up to goal, who can also drift wide, pull defenders with him. I think he adds a dimension that a lot of players don't add just purely from his presence on the field. There are always eyes on Dempsey. He's always someone who's going to draw not one, but probably two defenders' eyes at any given time. And, and that's important. And the same thing with Aldador from a more advanced position. I think you have a guy like Wondolowski who's purely there as someone you can bring in off the bench. Um, I know he started against Korea. He had a wonderful game there. But he's the kind of guy who seems very much slated in my mind as someone who can give you a boost, who can give you sort of that Goonies thrust, so to speak. And then you have Johansson, who I wouldn't rule out starting, if I'm completely honest, because I think he offers you uh, a similar posture on the field as Altidore, insofar as spacing, he's further advanced and he can play with his back to goal, but he gives you something very different than Altidore from that position on the field. So, I mean, you're right. There, the options, I, I think it, if we were playing a 4-4-2, that was a little bit more traditional. I could see why, you know, we'd feel a little bit threadbare at that position. I think given the things that Klinsman wants, though, he knows that he wants Dempsey for 90 minutes in that withdrawn role, and he knows he wants someone on top of him. And it's either going to be Altador, it probably will be Altador, or it'll be Johansson. And I think depending on the game, you get different things from each. Um, I'm certainly not sold with Josie um, on his holdup play, which for a while was you know his his crowning strength. Uh, I think a lot of us looked to looked at his time in England at the beginning of last summer as potentially an opportunity for him to shore up those skills with 12 months until the World Cup. And I haven't seen any of it. Now, granted, that's uh, very different competition than he'll face. In, in Brazil, all world class still, but you know defensively it's a different game. Um, and the U.S. played the ball to him quite differently than Sunderland did. Um, and not to mention the fact that the two halves of Sunderland from summer to spring were played the ball very differently to him to begin with. So yeah, I mean, I, I to sort of loop back around to the question, I think four is adequate, but it's going to be a question of who you want playing on top of Dempsey each game because Dempsey's sort of a given. You can put him in ten in there. But uh, what comes above him, whether that's Altador or Johansson, it'll be interesting to see if we can, you know, get what we want out of that uh, combination of, of forwards. Let me ask you another question. Um, <clears throat> something that uh, I know I, I've paid a lot of attention to is, is what Klinsman has always kind of said in the media, 
when he was hired, he had a whole lot of things, a whole lot of ideas he wanted to implement. Uh, he wanted to be a more entertaining attacking side. Um, one of the things he's done recently, especially since the draw, is publicly stated that kind of tempering expectations, you know, letting people know that realistically it's a very difficult group and we may not be able to get out of it. Um, looking at that now with the roster that he has, are your exp- or are your expectations changed a little bit? And maybe do you think Klinsman was kind of always playing, um, kind of always expecting to maybe not get out of the group with the players that he has? And especially now that yeah, I mean, he doesn't have Donovan, does that change your expectations at all? Uh, I, I guess I'd phrase it like this. It changed my expectations of the way in which we'll play um, and what we're setting up to do. I don't think he's necessarily renounced or abandoned um, neither principles nor expectations. Um, but I think you're right in that he has massaged them and tempered them given what we have in the pool. Um, so... I mean, I hate to go back to Landon because I'm sure you guys have talked a lot about it, but I think Landon's a great example of that um, because you have this skillful two-way player who's a great leader, he's experienced, he has a sense of confidence and swagger where he'll say we'll you know, win the World Cup. That was really sort of the brash um, sort of not, not just speech patterns but actual vocabulary that Clemson was sort of foisting upon the U.S. soccer public. It was that we're going to be this team that comes in and, you know, cleans other teams' clocks, are going to play the way we want to play. And Landon's sort of the paragon of that in my mind, at least insofar as how he's handled um, questions about our expectations and our style of play. I think he's really, you know, spoken to that. So it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that he's not there. But I do think that, um, you know, this team from, I think the, the turning point for me with that kind of language was the Italy game, the, the friendly that we won in Italy. Because it, it showed that, you know, after coming off of a bit of a bad spell where we had a very uncertain style of play, that we could win games the way that we used to win games. And I think from that point, Clemson's been caught in between two minds a bit and had to strike a balance between two distinct styles of play. And I think that stylistic negotiation and compromise has come with a, a compromise and negotiation and a conversation um, with regards to uh, expectations as well. Um, you know, it, he didn't come in at any point and say, we're going to get nine points from this group. I think he knows that it's going to be a grind, and I think he has selected players that he thinks can grind it out. Um, but that being said, I'm not really sure. I, I'm still not sure what's going on the pitch. You know what I mean? I'm not sure about the 11. I, I understand the character that he wants to instill with this team. I understand that there's sort of a youthful exuberance that he feels might give us an edge, a bit of unpredictability, maybe a bit of sort of drunken naivete that was – sort of the magic ingredient in 2002, but I don't think, it, I don't think uh, the, the sort of early Clemson, so to speak, this idea of we're going to go out there and play our style and, and, and uh, you know, really take teams to task, that doesn't seem to mesh with what he's done here. I don't think it inspires confidence to bring players with so little experience and so little meaningful club experience either. It's not like these, you know, it's not like Julian Green's been you know, in Champions League finals, just because it says Bayern Munich by his name. So I'm still at a bit of a loss to answer your question, I guess, but I do think you're right. Like, he has tempered uh, expectations, certainly, and that's, you know, been a more expansive process than people want to believe. It didn't just happen, you know, this afternoon. He's been doing it for quite some time now, uh, and I think Klinsman has a very realistic idea of what we can do here, and I think that plays into the fact that he's got a contract running until 2018. I think... Uh, you know, USSF knows that uh, they're, they have to be on the same page in order to find a measure of success in the long run. 
Cool. I think we've got one last question for you, uh, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Uh, we'll go with kind of an outside perspective from you. Uh, so looking at Nick Romano a little bit, and Kyle Beckerman especially, uh, from that outside perspective, you're not a Real Salt Lake fan, and although we probably think you should be, uh, we don't hold that against you. Uh, we, we, we accept your choice to not be an RSL fan. Appreciate it. You guys are very accepting. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, how do you think uh, someone like Kyle Beckerman will do? Do you think the system accommodates him? Do you think he'll play? Do you think he'll do well? I think Kyle Beckerman is a very interesting case because um, he's the kind of player who seems to perform so much better when he has players who he can trust in ahead of him. Um, he fills such an interesting niche for the U.S. that I think still hasn't been fully tested against sides that can possess the ball to a degree that we can't. Um, he's done, in my mind, a very good, underappreciated job of doing what Klinsman has asked of him, which is controlling tempo, tracking deep runs out of the midfield, making sure we have a measure of security in a game that, uh, you know, the counterattack is a threat or where the U.S. is trying to limit opportunities that the opposition can have in a game that they might not be fully entrenched in, they might not have that much possession in. But I think it, it's an entirely different story when you're playing teams against teams like Ghana, Portugal, and Germany. And, and not to put them in a group because they all play quite differently. And, and uh, Klinsman might not think Beckerman's the man for the job in all three of those games, but I certainly think he has a role to play here. And I think especially... Uh, I personally would have loved to have Idu for that first game based on how Ghana plays. But I think Beckerman, um, though I'm not, I don't think he's going to get the nod against them. I think Beckerman would be a very intriguing option for a team like Ghana um, for the reasons that I've mentioned. I think Beckerman does great job, it does a great job in those games that are high tempo where the ball's sort of pinging around the midfield third quite a bit. And uh, he does an awesome job of keeping everything organized and, and giving Bradley sort of a buffer where he feels like he can advance further up the pitch. Um, because he's well taken care of at home. Um, so, I mean, I have, you know, obviously high hopes like everyone else for Kyle Beckerman, um, but not having a guy like Landon there, um, I, I hate to go back to it again, but I, I think that could be really instrumental um, if you don't have a player who can, who feels as comfortable possessing the ball on the flank or you don't have a player who tracks back so well. It becomes harder and harder for Beckerman to really zero in on his one job there. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens, but I, I, I certainly think that Beckerman's been one of the more underappreciated members of the pool up until recently, and I think there's really been sort of a nice pushback and uh, Kyle Beckerman counterculture, where in the past few months people have really gotten behind him. I mean, he went from six months ago being a guy who a lot of the uh, U.S. soccer populace didn't want to see in the uniform to people who, you know, it, those same people now, uh, a lot of them would uh, be all right with him starting, and I certainly kept myself among those people, so... Yeah, all the best to Kyle, and I think Nicky, Nicky Romando will be a great guy there to wave the towel and uh, pat some butts, because uh, that's all he's going to be doing in Brazil, but no, he's, <laughs> he's also one of the most underappreciated players um, that we've had in MLS. I think he's uh, the sort of uh, the entire length of his career, he's played at a consistently very high level, um, and uh, he deserves the spot on the team, I think. You look back to 2002, and like no one would say that Tony Miola was an X factor. But um, anyone who you know talks to people on the team knows that he was an instrumental part of that trip just by being there and being a guy who had done it before. Um, and Nick Romando, though maybe his national team experience is limited, has certainly been there um, in big games quite a few times before in MLS, and I'm sure that experience will help the group. Yeah, we kind of uh, specialize in underappreciation in Salt Lake City, so. 
from Mondo's. Yeah, exactly. It's it's one of I mean I'm a Galaxy fan, um, but I've got to say you know I've always admired the way things are done there, and uh, I think he and Beckerman are the perfect embodiment of that. And uh, you know it's a great story. I think between them and Wando, you have three players who really embody the quality that exists in MLS and the dearth of appreciation that goes along with it. So I hope that they all, you know, really stand up and do some great things in Brazil. We, yeah, we, we all do. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks. Zach. Cool. We, thanks uh, for having me, God. Appreciate you coming on, man. And, uh, again, you can find it. We can find you at, uh, that damn yank on Twitter. So there you go. Cool. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Look forward to the uh, the two or three follower boost uh, from our, our uh, <laughs> excessive audience. Uh, the mighty two or three. No, I, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a good time. Yeah, let us know uh, what Jurgen says when he gets back to you. <laughs> I, will, I will do. We'll do. Right. He's got some explaining to do. All right. Well, thank yeah. you. Take care. All right. Yeah, cheers, guys. Bye. Yo, 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 Kyle has arrived, making sure the opponents goes on the prop. You'll know me by the suits of my dreads. I've been known to bust a few heads. I'm super chill, I keep it real. I smoke up the field with my soccer skills. Well, we're done. Yep, that's it. No, so, that's not really it. But well, uh, thanks, all, for, thanks for joining us. That's thanks all for basically it. Yeah. Um, Are we allowed to make the same joke two days in a row? I'm glad we, uh, we talked about Jessica Lansbury. I don't think we did okay. that on the air. Disregard all mentions of Jessica Lansbury. Oh, okay. I don't think we did, yeah. Oh, well, we should have. But anyways, uh, those are some good interviews. Lots of good points made. Yeah. Listen again if you don't think you got enough good points because they're in there. There are lots of them. Yeah. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk hopefully another RSL win. Yeah. And uh, some more thorough analysis of the... Hashtag analysis. Hashtag analysis hashtag, hashtag donna vanished donna so vanished we'll give uh maybe some more air of our input on the roster and so yeah we'll see how it shakes up it. yeah we'll we... see we don't like to plan things we like to just wing it yeah planning's not really our style yeah as you well know well i'm pretty sure uh, that's how you're gonna pick the national team too <laughs> <laughs> just put some names on a dartboard and throw them see see what shakes out poor eddie johnson he he was the first one cut from the the dartboard. i don't think his name was ever on the board I think his name went in the trash can before it went oh. on the board. Sorry, Eddie. Clown thing to say, bro. Clown. I'm sorry. I really feel bad about that. You do? You? No, yeah. you don't. I Come mean, on. Eddie. Eddie has his positive traits. Of course he yeah. does. Great goal scorer. He's got a bad rep, but yeah, could just, All right, well. it's slander. Well, anyways, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're babbling, so talk to us next we week. better end yeah, it right everyone now. Listen to us next week. Yeah, and also uh, we'll try to figure out why Ned Grabavoy wasn't called up. Yeah. Because if we're playing a diamond like we think, there's definitely room for him. Uh, and Francesco, we haven't forgotten about your question. We just want you to know that. You can... Final shout out, please tweet us if you have any opinion on that. Yeah, yeah. You have to go back to the last episode to to hear what it is. So. Yeah, we're, still we're still talking. Gonna... We're still talking. What's going? On? I don't know. We're, we're done. Yeah, let's let's get bandage him. All right, bye.